You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Good evening, everybody. My name is Darmendra Kanani. I'm your moderator for this, for this evening. I've got this light in front of me. Do, I do apologize. It's oh, no, no, no. Uh, very difficult. Like this. <clears throat> yes, I know, exactly. Yes. It's quite cool. <laughs> A very warm welcome to all of you to our um, inaugural event, in effect. Uh, this, this, today, this evening, marks um, our launch of our work on the fourth industrial revolution, which we're doing in partnership with Google and McKinsey Global Institute. And it gives me great pleasure to kick off our, um, our process of, of work with a conversation with someone who's very key in the European Commission um, on, this, on the matter of the digital single marketplace. But before I do, just a few words about what we're trying to do. This evening, after this conversation, we're holding our very first working group on the fourth industrial revolution. And you, you'll see from the literature, I hope, that you see. It's very much around growth and strengthening transatlantic cooperation. But at the heart of it, at the heart of it, is the, the exam question is, how do we facilitate, motivate, accelerate the digital single marketplace within Europe? But doing that with a very clear sense of the impact of globalization. And what we do know is that digital flows know no boundaries. And issues around regulation, uh, competence, um, and actually what people are doing on the ground are moving at a pace which is much faster than we can imagine. And in fact, I think the ground on this occasion, i.e. people and communities, uh, and businesses in particular, are moving at a pace which is faster than government, perhaps, one might argue, and are creating a different kind of momentum and movement which, perhaps, if we don't capture it, governments will be left behind the curve and might be sleepwalking into a range of scenarios. But that's some of the discussions we want to have. This evening's conversation is very much about understanding the Commission's approach to the digital single marketplace. And in the working group after this event, we want to be able to kind of define what some of the issues are. What are the barriers to creating the marketplace? What can we learn from um, the United States? What can we learn from businesses in particular? And what are the levers and the opportunities that we can uh, develop to motivate, as I said, a much more um, thought-through plan on a digital single marketplace. Before I introduce our, 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 our speaker, um, and you know, I'm very pleased that we're in conversation uh, with him, a couple of interesting facts, I suppose. One is that McKinsey Global Institute recently uh, brought out a report and in that, it refer referenced that Europe is operating at 12% of its potential capacity in the digital market. The United States is at 18% of its potential capacity. But what we do know in the European Union is there are some individual states, like the Netherlands in particular, and the Netherlands, I'm not sure how many Dutch people here, the Netherlands always peak. They're always outperforming on so many levels. Whether that's about the country, culture, or capacity, or infrastructure, I don't know. But clearly, the Netherlands is doing something really very effectively because it's right up there in the top five in terms of making use of its capacity. So that's one fact. The other is that what we do know is nearly 47% of the population in the EU is um, not digitally savvy. <clears throat> not digitally savvy. Yet we know, within a matter of a decade, 90% of the jobs will require, 90% of the jobs require, require some form of digital capability. 
Add to that the, the issues around privacy, data flows, etc. You can see the conundrum ahead of us, in particular around the skills agenda and how social digital is going to take over many other ways in which we work. But on that note, I'm very pleased to invite uh, Vice President um, Commissioner uh, Antos Ansip, who's uh, leading the digital single marketplace, to share with us not only does some of the background to the strategy, because obviously in Europe 2020, um, digital was one of, the, one of the seven flagship initiatives, um, asserting its importance, obviously, in, in Europe. And it would be good for you to set out some of the, kind of our, the objectives of the, of the strategy, but where we are now in terms of especially issues around data flow. Um, and the reports and, and the initiatives that you're engaged in at the moment. And as you were mentioning today, you achieved quite a significant breakthrough in terms of geo-blocking. You can tell us more about geo-blocking. I'm sure people in the audience may or may not know about that, but today was significant in that respect. Over to you, Andres Ansef. Well, thank you very much. First of all, I would like to thank you for being here uh, this evening. Uh, so many different issues. Uh, I think uh, we have to spend, uh, to spend uh, more than an hour to describe just uh, those uh, questions raised uh, by moderator. Well, <clears throat> we don't have digital single market in the European Union. 20 years ago, we were able to tear down those barriers dividing our member states and to create single markets. Uh, and uh, this single market was beneficial for everybody uh, but uh, uh, this single market uh, exi is existing only in physical world. Uh, digital single market does not exist. And cost of non-European digital meaning, as you know, is huge according to analysis prepared uh, by the European Parliament. Uh, this cost is uh, 415 billion euros per year, and this amount of money will increase with the years. So, message is clear. We have to create a digital single market in the European Union. So, um, when I was Prime Minister of Estonia, then four Prime Ministers sent a letter to uh, colleagues and we proposed to create a digital single market. Uh, it was in the year 2010 already. So, the uh, proposal was nice and everybody supported this proposal. We decided we will have digital single market in the European Union by 2015. So, look where we are. Last May, we got a plan. We got digital single market strategy. So, it means looking, uh, moving forward like rockets. So, <clears throat> but uh, last December, on basis of uh, this digital single market strategy, where we set uh, 16 different aims, we launched already our first two proposals, and uh, this year is a real delivery year, uh, but sorry to say, uh, we have to continue with uh, some proposals even uh, uh, next year, and one of those uh, items is uh, uh, free flow of data. So I hope next year will be a really good year for European citizens. Uh, uh, they will enjoy um, abolishing of roaming surcharges, which is a real headache for our people. Uh, Nelly Gross remembers uh, a proposal was made in the year 2007 already to abolish roaming surcharges in the Euro European Union, but in the very beginning this pro uh, process wasn't so rapid, but uh, uh, this May we were able to decrease uh, those roaming surcharges for 75%, and uh, 
I would like to say that uh, this was uh, the first year for uh, European people who spent uh, their summer holidays in some other EU member states when they were not afraid uh, anymore to use uh, their mobile devices. So when in other member states. Altogether, in comparison with the year 2009, we were able uh, to cut uh, those roaming surcharges for voice minutes and SMS messages for 92%, uh, for data even for 96%. And it seems uh, that if you were able to deal with 96%, what's the problem with those uh, 4%? But the uh, situation is very complicated and, uh, and very different in, in different EU member states. But... Uh, we have to keep our promises, we have to abolish roaming surcharges in the European Union since 15th of uh, June 2017. But what kind of problems we are facing with them? So in southern countries, operators, uh, they have to <coughs> make some investments to provide services to tourists visiting those uh, uh, beautiful countries only during the free summer month, and it means uh, they are not able to get some kind of revenues during the other uh, nine months. I'm, of course, simplifying the situation, making it too black and white, but, but so it is. And it's very natural to, to, to ask for higher prices uh, uh, within those uh, free summer months uh, by southern operators. At the same time, in Nordic countries, uh, operators are providing really generous offers and, and prices are very low, really affordable prices. Uh, for the same amount of money, Finnish people can buy uh, 100 times more gigabytes, for example, than Hungarian people. So, and if uh, price is cheap, people they would like to use those gigabytes. Average consumption in Finland is 10 gigabytes per month, average for the whole European Union, just one. So, and now uh, we have to find compromise We're between South and North. We have to deal with wholesale uh, reform uh, to lower those wholesale prices. Then uh, we have to agree in fair use policy principles. We have to avoid abuse of this room like at home system. And uh, we have to agree also in sustainability clause in basis on what kind of, of conditions uh, operators uh, they will get the right to ask for derogation to stay out of the system. So it's not so easy as it seems, but, uh, but uh, I'm looking forward optimistically. The second uh, victory, uh, according to my understanding, and, and I hope people they will enjoy it. Uh, this um, uh, will be uh, lowering, uh, allowing uh, portability of the content. As we know, today, 20% of Europeans uh, are spending at least 10 days during the year in another EU member state, and many of those people traveling somewhere in other member states, uh, they would like to get access to their legally bought digital content in their home countries. But because of copyright restrictions, they cannot. So, and uh, as we know, this is not a huge problem. A VPN is available. 20% uh, of internet users in the European Union are using VPN to get access to digital content. Uh, even 68% of film viewers in the European Union said uh, they are using uh, so-called free downloads. For ordinary people, it's, it's not a huge uh, problem. But authors are not fairly remunerated. 
and this is a real problem. So we propose to allow portability of the content, and I hope our people they uh, will enjoy uh, this freedom. Then, uh, good news uh, coming uh, from this morning: uh, uh, abolishing of uh, unjustified geoblocking. So, once on press conference, I said I hate geoblocking. So, why is the question? Uh, according to Mr. Shopping Survey, we organized in the European Commission, 2% of those people who wanted to get access to those websites uh, selling some goods and services from in another country, they couldn't get access because their IP address was wrong. They were from wrong countries. 2%, let's say, not too many people, why we have to care? But uh, even... If 2%, it's a, it's a real problem for the European Union, but 27% of those people who got access to those websites who wanted to buy some goods and services from another country, they couldn't register it, once again, because they were from wrong countries. They were from Belgium, for example. Or those were from IP addresses, so they used. So... Uh, 32% of those people who didn't have uh, problems with the registration, uh, they faced with delivery issues, delivery problems. Uh, those are natural problems, and uh, to find solution for those problems, uh, we made our, uh, our parcel delivery proposal. Uh, we don't want to start to regulate those parcel delivery prices on the level of the European Union, but uh, looking on those prices, they have very strange prices in the European Union. Lowest uh, cross-border parcel delivery price for uh, two kilograms parcels, for example, is in Netherlands. <laughs> 10 euros 50 cents. And difference between domestic parcel delivery prices and cross-border parcel delivery prices is also lowest in Netherlands, 1.6 times. But in one EU member state, this difference is even 22 times. Average for the European Union is three to five times. So well, we know this is a volume business, and, and uh, if it's bigger uh, than domestic price, uh, we can understand. But 22 times, if this is not protectionism, then I would like to know uh, what uh, this protectionism really means. So, uh, parcel delivery issues. But 26% of those people who didn't have any kind of, of uh, problems with the with parcel delivery, they couldn't pay for those purchases because they said their credit cards were issued in wrong countries. We have SEPA in the European Union, single European payments area, and nevertheless 26% uh, of people, they, they couldn't pay. So all in all, 36% of those people who wanted to buy some goods and services from another country, they were able to conclude those purchases successfully. I don't think this is a, sing a, a single market uh, we would like to have in the European Union when only every third 
person is able to conclude those purchases successfully. According to my understanding, this is a discrimination on basis somebody, on somebody's nationality or, or uh, where uh, his credit card uh, was issued. So, and this morning uh, we got the good news. Uh, uh, we can start with trialogues, and, and uh, as I said, I hope uh, next year uh, people they they will enjoy. Uh, buying uh, from other countries as uh, they, they are buying at home or companies that they will enjoy selling uh, uh, to other countries as uh, they are selling at home. So, uh, as I said, uh, we set 16 different aims. I am not ready to create some kind of ranking lists between those aims uh, because we have to reach all those aim aims, but the time is, is too limited to, to, to stop in uh, or to try to touch uh, all those different aims. You mentioned uh, uh, free data flows. This, is, this will be my, my final topic. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I will... I will, I will touch in the very beginning. So, as we all know, um, digital economy is global economy and based on, on data. And uh, those volumes, even talking about uh, European uh, digital economy, those are quite remarkable volumes already. Right now, we're talking about uh, value of data in the European Union. We can say it's uh, approximately 50 billion years. And according to prognosis, it will be uh, 111 billion years by uh, 2020. So, value of data will increase rapidly in the European Union. But only if we will create a uh, fruitful environment uh, for data economy in the European Union. So volume of, of uh, data economy today in the European Union is, uh, today it means 2015, so <coughs> uh, 272 uh, billion years. And according to pro prognosis, it can be uh, 643 billion years by uh, 2020. But it will happen only when we will be able to, to create fruitful uh, environment uh, for data economy. But we have a problem. This is forceful data localization. And we can see, not only in the European Union, but around the world, how those rules, laws, uh, pushing on, on forceful data localization, how this number is increasing. In the European Union, we already have 50 uh, different rules dealing with uh, forceful data localization in 21 EU member states. So, not so many rules are needed to, to, to keep data uh, forcefully inside of the country. We can say that uh, national security data, of course, we have to keep at home. Then public health data. People, they say, or some governments, they say, no, no. The data will be really well protected if we will be able to keep uh, those data inside of our beautiful countries. Then uh, uh, public policy data, whatever it means. But of course, at home. Then transport data, it's, it's uh, like security, you know, uh, or, or uh, energy data, it's, it's even more security. So at home. So you can put uh, uh, 
you know, uh, all in, in one uh, law, and, and, uh, and then uh, people, they had to be happy because uh, uh, data will be, according to some understandings, uh, well protected because uh, they will keep those data in, at home. But uh, we know that, uh, that banks can be robbed. I saw this in, in some movies. So, uh, but uh, we don't want to, to, to provide uh, uh, an advice to our people to take out cash from banks and then to put somewhere under the pillow. And we don't want to say that, uh, that uh, under the pillow at home, this cash will be much better protected than somewhere in banks. According to my understanding, no difference between banks and, and, uh, and uh, mm, uh, clouds. So uh, it's not, uh, not correct to say that in clouds uh, uh, those states are less protected uh, than somewhere on servers in, in basements. No. To ask people to, or companies to, to, to pr keep those states in basements, it's, it's, uh, it's dangerous. Like to keep cash under the below. So uh, um, <clears throat> if we will be able to remove those uh, uh, existing restrictions on free movement of data, then we will be able to cut those cloud service pr prices for... Uh, uh, 7.2 billion years within the next five years. And influence on the economy will be much bigger, 8 billion uh, euros per year in the European Union. So we're talking about huge amounts of, uh, of money. Well, uh, <clears throat> we have to deal also uh, uh, with the emerging issues, data ownership, uh, access to, uh, to data, uh, portability of data, interoperability issues, liability issues, and, and so on. Of course, it takes a uh, longer period of time to, to find solution for all those issues. Mm -hmm. But uh, to, to remove barriers from free movement of data, we have to act right now. Mm -hmm. So, thank Great. you very much. Thank it was you. very short uh, introduction. No, thank you. Before, before I open it up, because obviously good news on the demand side or the consumption side, you're putting in certain things which will, you know, in terms of roaming charges, portability of data, and, you know, the good news on, you know, geo-blocking. Um, the opportunity is vast in terms of economic growth when you think about data and you think about the future of, you know, uh, what, cloud can, you know what the cloud infrastructure could be in, in terms of business and growth. Given where we are politically now, so I'm not trying to put you in a difficult position at all, at all, but I think there's a question here about what's your confidence level in terms of achieving the kind of aspiration for a digital marketplace, single, single marketplace, as people have had for the single market? Because clearly one is testing the other because of the nature of the beast. But what's your sense of the appetite amongst member states to really move in the direction of a, of a digital single marketplace, given what you said about let's keep our data local, given the growth of geo-blocking, given the fact that actually the whole, the whole cloud enterprise is causing so much consternation amongst member states about can I trust it, can I, do I really want to invest in it, can I keep it local? What's your sense of that now at the moment, given where we are politically? 
so so uh, generally speaking everybody is uh, supporting creation of a digital single market uh, in uh, the european union but uh, when going into details uh, then uh, uh, there are very different interests and and uh, those different interests uh, uh, they are somehow very natural interests uh, as i described uh, when when i was talking about uh, abolishing of uh, roaming surcharges i'm not ready to say that uh, some countries are bad countries and other countries mm -hmm. are governments so that they are good countries. No, no, uh, those are different interests and, and governments, uh, they have to protect those uh, different uh, interests. And when talking about uh, creation of digital single market, uh, then generally speaking, uh, yes, we will, uh, we will benefit from this. Uh, but uh, it's also clear that uh, uh, some businesses, uh, they will lose their uh, market share. Uh, some people, uh, they will lose uh, their jobs. And, and uh, uh, those uh, businesses, for example, who are, who are afraid to lose uh, their market shares, uh, 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 in details, uh, they don't want to support creation of, of uh, this uh, digital single market. So, But I'm not ready to say that, uh, that uh, uh, there is dividing line and then on one side sure. there are good uh, uh, people, good governments, good uh, uh, companies and uh, on another side uh, um, no, really of bad course, ones. Of course, my, 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 my sense was about the confidence levels we have currently given the state of play about moving in the direction given the opportunity that's ahead I, of us. I would like to say that, uh, that uh, those developments, uh, they, they were pretty good ones mm -hmm. and uh, Mm, yeah, I, I don't want uh, to say that uh, that uh, <coughs> that uh, I'm I'm totally happy with those developments. But uh, let's take a very sexy topic: mm -hmm. 700 megahertz. So, uh, for some people, maybe this is not uh, the sexiest topic, but uh, for me, it's it's uh, uh, the most sexiest topic. So, 700 megahertz. <coughs> what does it mean for Europe? As we know uh, now. Uh, uh, in majority of EU member states, uh, uh, digital terrestrial uh, television is using uh, this band. Mm -hmm. So, but in the European Union, we can just dream about having 5G connected cars, remote surgery, uh, without 700 megahertz uh, uh, <coughs> for uh, telecom operators. Uh, it will stay as a dream. So in Japan, in Korea, they can manage without maybe this 700 megahertz. For us, it's needed. We made a proposal uh, to split into two parts, 700 megahertz band. Upper side for telecom service providers and sub-700 megahertz band. It will stay for uh, broadcasters, for digital terrestrial uh, television, for theaters using wireless mics, etc. So we set the name, 2020. We have to provide this clarity uh, to our people and to our businesses. Mm -hmm. In some countries, they said, 2020, it's too short period of time. 2022, it's much better. 2024, even better. So, in South Korea, they said it very clearly. They will start to use major elements of 5G uh, since uh, their Winter Olympic Games. It means 2018. I took part in G7 meeting in Japan, and they said it very clearly. They will use... 5G uh, during their Olympic Games, it means 2020. Mm. In the European Union, Ericsson and Telia stated that uh, they will start to use major elements of 5G since 2018 in two towns, 
uh, in Stockholm and Tallinn, so 2018. Here in Belgium, Deputy Prime Minister Alexander de Croo stated that uh, <clears throat> they are ready to provide uh, uh, frequencies uh, for 5G tests practically free of charge. There is only one precondition. Local startups, they have to be involved in, in those tests. So now let's think. Maybe in those countries where they think that the 2022 will be much better than 2020, they think that uh, that it's possible to to um, to uh, create apps, for example, uh, on basis of 5G, even uh, if you know theoretically uh, how it has to work, or uh, to build up new cars, self-driving cars, etc., using 5G. If they think it's, it's possible to, to build those cars, to, just knowing theoretically how it works, then I think uh, it's a mistake. Because uh, uh, really good solution, uh, solutions uh, we can find when we are facing with uh, real situations. So, and that's why we set also an aim to, to cover all the urban areas and main transport paths uh, uh, with 5G networks by 2025. And there is one sub-aim at least uh, in one major city in all the EU member states that uh, they have to start to provide uh, 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 on commercial basis services on, on, uh, on based on, on 5G uh, since uh, 2020 already. So it's uh, not an Euro European cap. It's, it's a global competition and it's a very tough competition. And uh, it's not uh, up to the European Commission either 2020 or 2022 or, or 2030. We are good people working in the European Commission. <laughs> if somebody <laughs> wants to get 2050, you can get it. But it's not a question about us, how good or bad we are in Indeed. the European Commission. <clears throat> it's uh, about uh, the future, those governments that they would like to provide to their people. So we are in a terrible hurry. And uh, 2018 is much better than 2020. If I may, Vice President, you've answered my earlier question really well by using that example about the aptitude for the single market and digital single marketplace. Very well done. That was very, very clever. I really enjoyed that. Colleagues, it's now over to you. Um, you've been very patient. You have an opportunity. We have about just, a, just under half an hour to ask questions. Ah, we yeah. have a colleague right at the back. I'll take a couple. So, um, gentlemen couple, there. I, maybe uh, I, I, don't, I would not remember. It's easier for me, of course, but... Uh... Please, um, <laughs> can I just plead with you all? Um, this, these aren't podium pieces. These aren't speeches. These are crisp questions or comments on what you've heard so far so that we can allow as much dialogue amongst the audience as possible, please. So, gentlemen, say, say who you are and then your question or comment. Evening. Uh, Adrian Harris from Orgulim Engineering Industry Association. I just want to, uh, we're very, very happy to hear that you're focusing so much on freeing up everything that's linked, geo-blocking, data flows, etc. But I'm a little bit puzzled then why you're talking about uh, regulating data ownership when for the moment there's no such thing, data ownership does not exist, or regulating portability, etc. Why are you talking about freeing up certain things and then regulating other things? Thank okay. you. Thank you very much. Gentlemen at the back there. 
think it's one of our European young leaders. Is that right? Yes, I think so. Brand yourself, affordably. <laughs> Hello, my name is André Lezocco-Pietri. I'm running an investment fund called A Capital, and I'm one of the young leaders. Uh, Quick question. Uh, sorry to be a little bit the party pooper here, uh, Mr. Vice President, but you said the physical digital market is, is achieved. What I see as an investor in Europe is that, at the contrary, what explains the fact that there is very little VC investment in Europe compared to the U.S., that in many sectors, energy, automotive, data, there is no single data, uh, single market. There is no single. So for a company in smart grid, for example, in France, it's a totally different regulation in Europe. So that's why you cannot scale. And if you cannot scale, you don't achieve high returns. And so you have little investment because investors are not crazy. That's why the European Investment Fund is 40% of all VC investment, which is good. So my question is, how do you link the physical world? Because at the end of the day, the companies in which we invest have a physical implication. Can I start, once you've got the mic, what would you like to see happen? What do you think would, give, what would, you think would increase the rate of investment, the VC investment in well, Europe? What's well, required if, 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 we, if we were in his position, yeah, if we in think, the president's position? If we think about the two most important revolutions we are seeing right now in Europe, and that Europe should not... I mean, we are here at Google... I wish to be optimistic, but I'm not so sure that in B2C services, the battle seems to be a little bit over. I, things can change, but in the B2B business, what the Germans call Industry 4.0, uh, uh, it's just the beginning. But we don't see a lot of startups having the scale because simply the, the, the standards are different between France, Germany, okay. Italy. That's one. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that should be worked on. And the second big revolution, we just came out of COP22, Marrakesh, I mean, uh, it's Tesla, it's GE investing in battery companies in Europe. You don't see, s it's crazy to see that it's Tesla who is leading the energy revolution while we have been in Europe so much at the forefront of regulation. How, how come we don't achieve to create these companies? Again, there is no single energy uh, market. Therefore, companies cannot scale. We don't have the internal market, okay. which makes Chinese, VC, uh, Chinese startups and U.S. startups so strong. And that's why you see a lot of... The, the money is there, but money will only come when, uh, when there is scale opportunity, because scale okay. means returns. Thank you very much. The gentleman just there. Hello, Simon Schlüter, German Farmers Association. Um, what are your ideas to connect rural areas? Because uh, you talked about self-driving cars, however, self-driving tractors are already reality, but they need uh, data connectivity. Thank you. So, regulating on some and not the others. Why on um, data ownership and portability? Why that, not other things? Will that impede things, is what I understand from your question. How do you increase investment? And actually, the issue that it's the absence of scale-up opportunities that's actually harming investment. And then connecting rural areas. Easy ones, really. Yeah, but it takes time. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um Short answers, uh, it's not uh, about me. So, <clears throat> rural areas and self-driving cars. Uh, urban areas in the European Union, they uh, are pretty good, uh, pretty well covered with, with uh, mobile uh, networks and, and, and also fixed broadband. 
So this is not an issue. But rural areas, so-so, let's say even less than so-so. Um, and this is a real headache. And differences between our member states are very different, or very big differences. In Lapland, for example, doesn't matter in Sweden or in Finland, density of population in this area is uh, less than one person per one square kilometer. In Sweden, in this northern part of Sweden, you can wait for uh, the next uh, car for hours and hours. But waiting this car, uh, for this car or picking up mushrooms or berries somewhere in Lapland, uh, you can call to, to everybody or, or to, you, you will have access to the internet. It works. Every month I have to travel from Brussels to Strasbourg. And um, <clears throat> by car. Mm -hmm. And there are tens of kilometers where I don't have access uh, to the internet. So uh, what will happen with those self-driving cars or connected cars, connected trucks, for example, Scania's case? They were able to connect already more than 200,000 uh, trucks. It means they are getting information after every minute uh, from those trucks, and then on the basis of this information, uh, <clears throat> They can give uh, an advice about maintenance, uh, about how to improve driving habits, uh, and because they know where those trucks are, where they are planning to go, uh, they are able to organize truck trains. Those trucks are not mechanically connected, but uh, distance between trucks is very short, and uh, they say uh, they are able to save uh, uh, five to six percent of fuel for this in this way. What will happen with those truck trains, for example, when they will cross borders? One, what, what will happen with those self-driving cars uh, using, uh, I don't know, 5G? Uh, uh, if uh, in some countries uh, roads are covered with uh, those networks and then in neighboring countries uh, those roads are not covered. So we made our telecom rules reform proposal. And as I said, uh, we set... Three aims, one was about 5G, mm -hmm. I described already. Then <coughs> uh, we have to provide uh, access uh, uh, to high-speed networks uh, by 2025 uh, to all the households. Uh, it doesn't matter in urban areas or rural areas uh, by 2025. And high-speed, in this meaning, is uh, uh, 100 megabits per second. So... Uh, This is extremely important uh, uh, to to have full coverage in the in the country. So uh, and uh, <clears throat> to reach uh, this aim, uh, uh, we proposed uh, to to use uh, this co-financing mo model, which is uh, also quite well used in in France, for example. So uh, if there is possible to create competition on the basis of access to the networks because no one networks. Then uh, we can create competition on, uh, for investments. So uh, uh, those uh, competing operators, uh, they, 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 they can uh, 
make those investments in rural areas together. So uh, we would like to protect also um, first movers. As we know, uh, in uh, some cities, in Germany, for example, I remember, uh, quality of services was quite bad and uh, domestic uh, investors decided to improve uh, the quality of services uh, to create their own network but, but then incumbent company uh, said that that, uh, that uh, those new competitors uh, they, they are not welcomed and uh, they made their own investments so it's so easy to destroy uh, destroy somebody's initiatives so with new rules, uh, I hope uh, we will be able to cover also rural areas. So to reach uh, those aims, we set uh, at least uh, 500 billion euros uh, will be needed uh, as investments. Uh, but if we will continue on basis of existing rules, there will be a gap, 155 billion euros and... Uh, for us, it was once again a message. We have to change our rules. So we made this proposal. Then, next question about uh, <coughs> scale up. Mm -hmm. We have a um, lot of really good uh, ideas in the European Union, a lot of startups, uh, uh, quite competitive startup harps uh, we have in uh, many cities in the European Union. Um, but to scale up in the European Union, it's a real headache. So, and why it's it's headache? Because uh, our digital market is fragmented market. It's much better or much easier to, to move to the United States because uh, uh, there are you know, 500 million healthy customers and single market than to, to try to, to scale up in the European Union. So Spotify, for example, Swedish company, let's say, but uh, they decided to move out from the Union to the United States to scale up. Now they are back in Europe, but... Some of those well-paid jobs, they, they are there in the United States. So if we have to fix one problem, the main problem this is, uh, for, according to my understanding, we have to deal with fragmentation. Today, it's um, practically impossible for small businesses, for startups to understand how those 28 different rules are protecting consumers somewhere and what kind of obligations those businesses are getting from those different rules. We're talking about uh, uh, free data flows. If we will continue with the forceful data localization trend, then of course, global players, they will be able to create their data centers in, in all the 28 EU member states. But for startups, for small companies, practically impossible to have uh, 28 different uh, uh, data centers. And uh, what's the sense to have uh, those so many data centers if you are not able to collect data in meaning of uh, big data? So about what kind of, of useful correlations for our people we can dream uh, to find uh, for, uh, using uh, big data or, or uh, if uh, talking about uh, rare uh, Mm, uh, diagnosis, uh, there will be five cases per year 
uh, about what kind of, of uh, similar patterns uh, we can dream uh, we will be able to find having just five cases per year. So it means in smaller uh, member states uh, uh, in the European Union, in some areas, scientists, uh, they move they have to move out from those countries to, to, to bigger countries, but uh, even the biggest EU member states not, is not uh, big enough uh, to compete in, in this field, for example, with China or, mm -hmm. or, or with Americans. So um, I don't think in, in all the areas we have to say that, well, Europe is lagging behind. We can be proud about uh, our embedded systems, for example. Europe has leading position in the world. Robotics, once again. Uh, I think automotive industry is also doing really well uh, in, in Europe. Uh, uh, so uh, those cars, uh, they, they are just uh, <coughs> uh, uh, computers on, on wheels today and practically not uh, using fuel at all. So uh, this is not uh, uh, just Tesla uh, who, is, uh, who is leading uh, the whole process. Uh, uh, innovations are taking place also uh, here in, in, in Europe. So, uh, and rate of investments will, will also increase if we will be able to, to deal with fragmentation of, uh, of the market. And that's the key issue though, isn't it? That whilst we have the capacity to innovate, we know this in Europe, it's one of the kind of strengths. The issue is that you can't scale because of the points you've made. It's almost like the principle of subsidiarity in, in this case is a key kind of barrier to getting the market, the digital market to work effectively. But on that last question, if you could just address that yeah. before we move on data to data ownership. Mm -hmm. Why regulate on data ownership and portability, uh, yeah. but not on other things? I'm, I'm not ready to regulate uh, this data <laughs> ownership yet, uh, because, uh, you know, um, this, is, um, this issue is, uh, is becoming more and more important. So uh, today we have many practices uh, in meaning of data ownership. Uh, uh, not able to see. So... <laughs> so uh, uh, <coughs> Uh, many practices in, in meaning of data ownership in the European Union. Some companies, like Siemens, for example, or the same Scania, they say that, that uh, those who own uh, those trucks or, or, or some kind of, of equipment, uh, uh, they have to own also data. So uh, an owner of data can sell data, to, can provide access uh, to third parties to those collected data, and, and, and so on. Uh, I don't think data ownership is not an important issue at all. It's a really important issue. So uh, liability issues, they are also contact, uh, connected with, with data ownership. Then uh, uh, some other practices, TomTom, Tom, for example, uh, they own data, and it doesn't matter uh, who owns those uh, 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 devices, for example. Uh, really different practices in the European Union. Talking about uh, healthcare data. So in the country I know best, in Estonia, healthcare data are owned uh, by patients. So my personal health record, it's mine. And in this way, it's, it's very easy to ask for a second opinion, for example, from another country, from another hospital, uh, 
uh, I can provide access to my personal health records to third parties, even to pharmaceutical companies, for example, if I believe that, that, that uh, maybe one lovely day uh, they will provide some good solution for me or for my relatives or for humanity. I'm ready to provide very delicate data to, to, to research and, and, uh, and innovations. So, but of course... Everybody's privacy has to be protected. Well, uh, <clears throat> we, we can continue with those uh, emerging uh, issues for hours and, and hours, and, and I think uh, we will get uh, hundreds of, of different approaches and, uh, and ideas, but uh, uh, please don't think that, that uh, uh, this is a non-issue. This is a really important issue, and then we have to find uh, a solution for uh, those emerging issues also. We, we have to set uh, some general rules. What is allowed uh, to, to, to do with data and then what is uh, not allowed to do with data? So I, myself, I think that, uh, that uh, all the people... Um, actively participating in generation of, of data, they have to, uh, to get access to those data at least, or they have to own those data generated uh, by it's, them. It's clearly the currency of the future that we need to be yeah. able to really think about deeply because it will be impacting on us, it will be the new currency. We have time for a couple of more questions. Um, gentleman at the back there. This is highly gendered questioning. Could we not get some of the women in the audience to answer the question? You don't have to. I don't want to force you, but there you go. The gentleman there. Yes. Uh, good evening. Geoffrey Bignier from Alphalex Consult. Uh, coming back to data ownership, I just wanted to know, because I've seen the impact assessment of the free flow of data initiative, that you um, maybe had the ambition to have a European legal regime for data ownership. Is it still on the table? And I'm thinking especially for data of public interest. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, but uh, uh, right now I would like to, to, to respond. Uh, we will uh, launch a public consultation in, the, in uh, this very issue, and then we, we would like to, to open the deba debate about uh, those emerging uh, issues I, I, I mentioned, data ownership, uh, access to data, uh, portability, interoperability of data, liability issues. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we will launch this public consultation in this field. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's quick. I will come to you, but I'm just waiting to see if there are any others. Ladies? Especially a plea. Okay, no worries. No worries. It's not a political comment. I just wanted to make sure you have the, the opportunity also by making sure that we have uh, others participate. Gentlemen here. Uh, good evening. My name is Sebastian Rutai. I'm a, I'm a tech entrepreneur. Okay, so I'm not a pol policy maker. Uh, I have two very simple questions for you. The first is, uh, how often do you use Amazon? And the second question is, if I want to be provocative, and we stop every digital 2020 policy, within how much time will the digital single market happen by itself, through Amazon, Uber, and the like? Hence... How much do you hope to accelerate it through your regulation? Okay. You go back to my earlier opening yeah, point but, uh, about the coming from uh, the ground. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a uh, user of Amazon, uh, uh, not so often, but 
my daughter is using Amazon, and I have to pay bills. So uh, it's so so, uh, but uh, yeah, there is some kind of, of territoriality uh, also when we are talking about Amazon. Uh, trend is good, I would like to say, but uh, I don't think uh, uh, we will get to real single market uh, just uh, itself. Mm, it took so many, so many years uh, to to cut those roaming surcharges in the European Union, and it didn't happen just by accident. It was tough work, and uh, when we launched uh, this uh, digital single market uh, strategy, then uh, we said also no easy victories. It it will be an uphill struggle because. Uh, in many cases, even if knowing that uh, this business model they are using is totally unsustainable, it's so difficult to change this unsustainable business model for something better. So uh, sometimes we have to intervene. Can I have the mic back to you? As a tech entrepreneur... What's your view? Do you think it's hampering? What, 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 what the Commission's doing? Is it making more life more difficult? Are you saying, actually, really, if we didn't have any of this, the, because of the nature of digital, you can create your own infrastructure, you can do your own thing, and basically this is getting in the way? But my point is probably a bit lateral in the sense that tech entrepreneurs seek productivity gains. Okay, mm -hmm. In essence, that's what they do. Um, when you look at Amazon, or, by the way, there are hundreds of tech giants... They're looking at all the money we're putting in infrastructure, and it's absolutely great. Uh, they're putting at, looking at all of the initiatives we're setting up to make data accessible, uh, consumers accessible. And, uh, and so, yes, it's a huge opportunity for them. I was meeting with Jack Ma okay. the other day. Europe's his biggest target. Mm -hmm. It's not Asia. Mm -hmm. It's not Africa. It's not Latin. It's Europe. Because we're actually doing everything and giving him the productivity gains. So for me, it's not a question that the digital single market is going to happen or not. It's happening. Sure. And you just need to open Uber. You just need to use Amazon to realize that it's already there. And I understand that there are complications, and I understand that there are things that don't happen naturally. Um, but tech entrepreneurs are here for productivity gains. Sure. And so my main question is, is the ambition right or not? In the sense of, are we really accelerating it? Question mark. And second, are we creating the European tech giants to at some point say, well, it's not just about Amazon or just about Alibaba? Sure. Yeah. But I suppose but you have to accept that. The single market uh, will be beneficial for everybody, for ordinary people, uh, for small and medium-sized enterprises, but also for global players. But uh, global players, are they able to deal with those 28 uh, uh, different uh, sets of rules? Uh, but uh, uh, ordinary people, uh, smaller companies, they are not able to deal with those bar barriers. For startups, our message today is quite clear. Stay at home or go to the United States. I don't think we would like to send that kind of messages to, to our startups. But, uh, yeah, uh, I don't think uh, uh, 
data monopolies is something uh, uh, we have to dream about. Uh, but uh, digital single market, it's, it's, it's not just about uh, Google or Amazon or, or services uh, provided by, by those companies. Let's take uh, the Internet of Things. Today we have uh, more than uh, uh, 600 different standards in the European Union dealing with the Internet of Things. So, uh, if we will be able to agree in common open standard, then we uh, can save huge amounts of money. So, today, to put the, we have to. If you would like to connect a refrigerator with with vacuum cleaner, you have to put a chip inside of those appliances, and cost of this chip is is fifty euros. So there is sense to connect a refrigerator with vacuum cleaner. If we will be able to cut those energy consumption peaks in the European Union and lows, then we will be able to save approximately 100 billion years per year. And to cut those peaks and lows, we have to connect refrigerator with vacuum cleaner. So if there will be common standard, then price of this chip will be just one year. It makes sense. One year or 50 years. So uh, I think we have to, 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 to agree in, in those uh, uh, common standards and not only inside of the European Union, but uh, uh, globally also with the Americans. So uh, it's waste of taxpayers' money today or our consumers' money. And for us, it's a, a question about competitiveness. If we would like to be to continue on basis on, on fragmentation, then go ahead. But uh, very soon people they will try, will will will, will buy uh, better uh, <coughs> appliances uh, with more affordable prices. So uh, thank you. I know there's a gentleman at the back, but now there are ah okay. But I am running out of time, huh? So as long as you're prepared to pre be with me for another five minutes or so, we'll let, we'll do it because we have two women. Ask you, Madam Cruz. Please. Thank you so much. Um, I'm not blaming the vice president, uh, on the contrary, for it was the finest moment for me to get the information that he got this portfolio, and not only because he knows what he's talking of, but also because he has the experience as a prime minister of the best-in-class country talking about digital. Having said that, and that I would add to your remarks, it is about the credibility of Europe. It is about uh, delivering what we should do and what we could do uh, to the citizens. And by the way, I can't explain why it took that long. And I can uh, assure you that we did our utmost why it took that long for roaming. For it was old-fashioned, it was in a way not fair, and so on and so forth. But also talking about IPR. It is crazy, for we are just uh, not only talking about authors, but talking about the whole music industry, what was at stake, and what we were forcing citizens to, uh, to just do illegal things, so to say. But what I'm even more involved now is with the startups and the scale-ups. If we are not able, within the European family, to deliver what we have to do, then you are forcing what the vice president was mentioning. You are forcing startups and also scale-ups talking about 
capital, venture capital, and so on, when as a startup or as a early scale-up, when you uh, are uh, just rolling out your company and you are forced to take another lawyer and another and so on and so forth, then we are not talking about the big talents that we have and we should be aware that Europe could solve those problems okay. and could help us and it takes too long and I don't believe in eternal life and uh, that is what is at stake. Thank you yeah. very much for that co contribution. I'm going to take the lady right at the back. Glasses, blonde hair, right at the back. That will be the final question. Very fine. I'm sorry I took this so late, but you were really challenging us. Uh, so my name is Mia Petra Kumpula Natri. I'm from the Parliament. And I take up two questions and also motivated from the question from the first row that do we do too much regulatory burden? Would it be better without or do we do the right thing? And I think it's really uh, the question on what field of legislation you are talking to because at the moment we all the time hear, hear that the 28 different regulation is a burden to, to, to do something bigger, to do something more. And, and I have been working on the mobile prices, the wholesale caps, which uh, Israel will vote tomorrow in the parliament. Do we get rid of the Rome-like roaming prices? And, and what I have learned going very deeply on that section, that we do have a huge variation of the prices in a different countries. So it's not six times when you make telephone calls, it's 100 times or it's 30 times when your availability to use the data. So I think some regulatory uh, could be also helping to uh, open up the wide uh, incre increased prices, why so big differences. And also I have maybe also a, a concrete question to Commissioner on Spectrum, which will be on the communication code the spectrum uh, usage and everything. So there will be me shadowing and another woman from EPP to reporter. So many women's working on the issue then in the parliament. So no worries. Um, there will be uh, also, do we should uh, wait everybody to be there harmonizing more to usage or should we lead to uh, and give some states, uh, some member states to opportunity to be the world top the fastest, the de technology developer. And that's the balance you can put in many sectors when you talk about the re regulation, the way to everybody to be on board or try to be the top of the world. Thank you. So, if you could also con with concluded remarks, but respond to that particular question about how do you let some of the front runners lead? Yeah, let's start with uh, those uh, uh, roaming issues. <coughs> uh, in the very beginning, uh, I, I gave some figures also describing uh, uh, those very different prices we, we have uh, in the European Union. So, um, and I would like to say that, that Mia Petra Kumpulonatri is, is doing a really good job in, in the European Parliament. Uh, we, in the European Commission proposed to, to, to set the ceiling for wholesale prices on the level of uh, 8.5 uh, euros per gigabyte. But uh, looking on uh, revenues operators are getting from roaming, uh, then uh, it's about uh, 5 billion euros per year, and it's uh, very roughly 5% uh, from all the revenues. Looking on data consumed in roaming, it's just 0.4%. So, looking on, on statistical figures, we can say that, uh, that uh, enough, there is enough space to, to, to lower those uh, uh, wholesale cups. But
but as we all know, uh, statistical theories are not describing unique situations. And once again, I have to say that we have to protect uh, those operators made those investments in, in southern countries, in Malta, Cyprus, uh, Croatia, for example. In Croatia, the difference between uh, inbound traffic and outbound traffic is 1,400%. Uh, so huge differences. It's, it's not so that, uh, that, you know, maybe 10 or 20% somewhere difference. No, no, those are huge differences. So um, Telia started to provide uh, uh, Rome like a home service uh, uh, since uh, this uh, January to uh, Estonian people. By the way, I don't think uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, Estonia is best in the class. We can find a uh, lot of really good, excellent solutions uh, 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 from all the, the European member states. And even according to this index, uh, the best in the class is Denmark. And Netherlands is on the second place. So, uh, uh, yeah, Rome like at home and, and Estonia. So, Tilia uh, uh, provided this uh, uh, roaming surcharges free uh, data usage in, for Estonians in Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Lithuania, uh, Latvia. So, and... Uh, I don't think you are ready to, to provide an answer how many times consumption of gigabytes in those countries by Estonians really increased. It was 33 times, not 3.3% or 33%, it was 33 times. Maybe Estonians, they are too price sensitive people, but anyway, 33 times it shows that, that those... Uh, uh, roaming surcharges, uh, they are still uh, like real barriers for our people, for our businesses. So uh, thanks to decrease of, uh, of roaming surcharges for 75%, which took place uh, this May, uh, consumption of gigabytes in, in, uh, in other uh, EU countries by Estonians increased by 20%. It's also a really remarkable increase, but 20%, it's not... Uh, it's nothing to compare with 33 times. So we have to deal with those issues. In the United States, people, they don't remember about roaming surcharges anymore. But in the European Union, we have a generation of people who knows how dangerous it is to use those mobile devices when traveling in some other countries. So and, uh, this business model is not uh, sustainable if uh, service providers, they have to, to say to their clients, don't use my services when traveling in uh, some other countries. And uh, if those people, they don't care about this advice, uh, they can easily start to hate uh, those service providers. Mm -hmm. And once again, we have to say it's uh, totally unsustainable. So Spectrum, next question. Um, we, we would like to have deeper cooperation in the field of spectrum in the European Union. And we proposed, uh, what does it mean, deeper cooperation? Spectrum allocation auctions and timing of those auctions. I'm not talking about the end of, of, of uh, those timelines, but, but uh, uh, about the, the beginning uh, of auctions. Uh, if somebody wants, uh, you know, they will win if uh, they will start earlier than others. 
but uh, I'm talking about deadlines of uh, those spectrum allocation auctions because uh, uh, to cover all the all the European Union with with the 5G networks, for example, it's it's important and uh, important for everybody, not only for inhabitants living inside of, of some countries. Then duration of of those uh, uh, licenses. We said 25 years as minimum. In some countries, with these requirements, uh, they think that, that it's, uh, it will be reasonable to, uh, and beneficial to ask for, uh, for new money after every five years. But who will be ready to make some real investments knowing that it will last just five years? So, nobody. Then, coverage issues. So, I asked already what will happen with those uh, uh, truck trains, for example, if in some countries uh, roads will be covered and then in some other countries roads uh, will be not covered so with, the, with the new generation uh, networks. So deeper cooperation in, in the field of uh, spectrum is, is definitely needed. And uh, once again, I would like to say in the European Commission, we are not looking on the money governments uh, they are getting uh, selling frequencies. Now it's uh, about natural resources. It's up to member states to, to, to deal with this money. But uh, at the same time, of course, we are able to understand that if there will be some concrete conditions, uh, uh, including time limits for those spectrum allocation auctions, uh, then governments uh, 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 will not get maximum amount of money which uh, is available in the marketplace. So, but uh, I think uh, those governments. Uh, uh, who wanted uh, to cover the country with a 4G LTE network as soon as possible. So they got even uh, higher revenues uh, than those who didn't set conditions, including time limits, uh, uh, because uh, uh, new generation of networks was available and uh, economies were able to grow faster uh, if uh, uh, they were able to use uh, this new generation uh, network. <coughs> so uh, time is running so it quickly, is. but, but uh, yeah, we talking about uh, digital single market uh, once again. It's it's not about Google and, and Amazon. It's it's uh, about many many different issues. We launched new e-government action plan. And uh, there is also one solely principle. So we launched or introduced this principle when I was prime minister in, in the Estonia. And, and then in this meaning, I, I would like to say, yeah, I was best in the class. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, why it's important? So some people, they think that one solely. What does it mean? State has right to ask for information uh, from their citizens or businesses only once. Second time is prohibited. State has to remember, and with my permission to use uh, this information uh, once again. In the country I know best, we introduced our smart ID cards a year later than they did it in Finland. But the, because it was uh, voluntary based in Finland, only 30,000 Finns started to use uh, those uh, 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 smart uh, ID cards. And in Estonia it was mandatory, everybody had to take those smart ID cards. But it took uh, six years for Estonians to, to, to give their first one million digital signatures. 
So in the very beginning, people, uh, they used those smart uh, ID cards to, to visit Finland on the border for identification, for example, or when they got to those uh, uh, parcels, uh, then in post postal uh, office, it was also uh, good for identification or, or to open envelopes. Uh, it helped, you know. Uh, but in the year 2007, we introduced uh, uh, this once-only principle on the level of the government, and it gave real boost in usage of uh, uh, digital identities, digital uh, signatures. Now Estonians uh, are signing digitally more than 1.3 million times per week, and the population of Estonia is 1.3 million inhabitants. We figured out that uh, in Estonia, just because of digital signatures, we were able to save one working week per year, which is equal to 2% of GDP, which is equal to defense expenditures in Estonia. We can say that the defense expenditures in Estonia are coming from uh, digital signatures. So uh, this is about digital single market in the European Union. Why it's so that e-prescription, for example, in Finland, in, uh, in Sweden, Denmark, uh, in Estonia, 100% uh, of medical doctors are issuing e-prescriptions. But if traveling to uh, another country, from Finland to Sweden, paper is needed. On the 21st Indeed. century, uh, this digital information is, is not able to cross borders uh, in a trusted manner. So we have to create uh, this digital single market. I'm not so thinking about uh, so much about my en uh, own health and, and some kind of uh, e-prescriptions, but, uh, but I'm thinking about young people. You know, uh, it happens quite often. Uh, here in Brussels, they fall in love. So they, have, they would like to uh, organize uh, those uh, wedding ceremonies some, one day. So... But uh, uh, to have those, this wedding ceremony, they have to, to travel to their home country and to bring a paper, mm -hmm. still single. Why it's so that on the 21st century, our business registers, for example, our population registers, they are not able to, to, to communicate with, with each other. This is about single market we would like to, to create in the European Union. So to make sure. life easier for everybody, for our people, for our businesses, uh, uh, to save also uh, money. So, Thank you, thank sir. Thank you very much. No, thank you. It's, um, before you do, before you do, let me say some few words, just a tiny few. I mean, it's absolutely evident that being best in class the challenge is how do you raise the average of the rest of the class? And I think that's the conundrum that we're facing. And the other issue is that I think before we know it, the challenge of a, of a single market and a digital single market will be upon us, whether we like it or not. And I think the challenges of it um, will be felt keenly if subsidiarity on this issue isn't actually tackled. And that's what I meant by the politics, because I think the politics of it is the thing that will drive this. But colleagues, I hope we've helped you to connect the dots debate the real issues, and perhaps think about the changes that we need to make if we're going to accelerate the digital single marketplace. I want to thank um, Vice yeah. President. Do you want to yeah, have the last yeah, word, yeah, don't yeah, you? Uh, you want to have the last I, word? I, I will be happy if you will put politicians under the pressure. Mm. So politicians, uh, they will start to act if uh, they have to act.
please put politicians, Indeed. me, under the pressure. There's Thank a call you. for a viral campaign, colleagues. Colleagues, thank you so much. Hope you've enjoyed this. There are drinks at the back and some canapes. Please do stay and enjoy those at the back of, of the room. Thank you very much. Okay.